What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master's Speakeasy. My name is Cody. And I'm Lance. And we want you to come in off the street, grab a seat, and get a drink. If you are of legal drinking age of a resident in whatever country you hail from, you may also have an alcoholic beverage. And today, we are going to uh, drink a nice, crisp, and refreshing not stout. Not stout, that's true. That's... <laughs> We're, we're not we're not we're not doing a stop today. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're smack dab in the middle of summer, so I have decided that we're going to have something a little more fruity, a little bit more crisp and refreshing. Uh, before we get to that, let's talk about some tabletop news. All right. Oh, we oh got yeah, because if, if you haven't figured it out by now here on episode 19, Lance and I like to talk about tabletop stuff, mostly RPGs, but uh, I also dabble a little bit in skirmish war games, and we have an interest in the lore of certain things that are tabletop related, like 40K. I don't watch Critical Role, but a lot of my friends do. Well, I watch it like an episode here and there. I don't watch it. Yeah, I, say, I, don't, I don't watch it religiously, but... Speaking of 40K, uh, are you familiar with the word squats? Does that ring yeah, a bell to you? Yeah, the 40K Dwarves. Yeah, the 40K Dwarves that uh, basically haven't existed in the tabletop for ba almost, what, two decades? I, it's been a decades. really long yeah. time since I've heard anything about them. They, just, you, they were from high-gravity planets, which is why they're short. Yes, well, this is <laughs> this this is news to you, then. Uh, squats are back, baby. Uh, and great. I am so excited. <laughs> they're not called squats anymore. They're called the Leagues of Votan. Okay. And they are super cool. The models, they just look like dwarves in uh, more advanced power armor. Okay. Because their whole lore, because they were announced back in, I want to say February or something like that. But they've been teasing more about the lore and letting out new models. And just this last week or so, they actually put out like a stat block for their basic uh, trooper. So well, they're going to be their own army? Or? They're, yeah, they're their own okay. faction. They're, 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 they're all, they are their own faction, tried and true. Uh, I suspect in the lore that the Imperium will not actually take too kindly to them based on the certain certain parts of the Imperium's rules, especially the Admech. Because they're know. mutants. Well, <laughs> they are they are just short dudes, but the, you are correct, actually. In the lore, they are a lot of them. Um, I, I don't know if it's all of them or a lot of them, but they are clones. Okay. Uh, and they're, it's not like Star Wars where they are all one clone. It's that they have many, many templates, and mm -hmm. a lot of their population are drawn from those DNA templates. Okay. And they are bred to be faster, stronger, not taller, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, of all the things, well, I mean, we've got to keep them dwarves, so we'll make them faster <laughs> and stronger, but we're not going to genetically engineer them to be taller. Why would we do that? But they are called the Leagues of Votan, which are basically like dwarf clans, essentially. Okay. But uh, the... the the cool thing is, we as players know what a Votan is, because GW has already spilled those beans. Mm -hmm. But in lore, what a Votan is, is a super big secret. Because it's... Uh, what, are the, what are the names of those like supercomputers that the Imperium used to make? Oh, God. Uh, that if finding one is a huge deal. Yeah, I don't it's, remember. It's, uh, I, I, you know what I'm talking about, though. Um, a Votan is kind of like that, but kind of not. It's A, a Votan is a super cogitator that houses uh, basically... A semi-thinking intelligence. Yeah, they ban them. they banned those. That's they the reason those. they have servitors because uh, the human brain is apparently less likely to go crazy than uh, yeah than say an actual bona fide AI. So they they ban that technology. But the Votans were not designed to be uh, in existence for thousands of years, so now they're starting to develop quirks and personalities. Uh. Um, 
and it's very important. Each clan has their own Votan, but uh, it's it's. I like the lore. They are supposed to be more advanced because whereas the Imperium is just like, hey, let's go look up old stuff that we used to have. The leagues are actually you know innovative. They're, trying to develop new. They're technology. trying to develop new technologies. I think that they might even have kind of like semi-sentient robots that they consider just as just as uh, not human but important as the next person and that is justification alone for the imperium to wipe them off the map yeah they can try but i'm i have always been a big fan of dwarves uh rock and stone if you if you are familiar with deep rock galactic yeah. this is uh that's kind of your gateway drug into space dwarves and now there's more official space dwarves so I'm stoked. Uh, I'm, I want to paint these dudes. I want them to have kill team rules. I want to run uh, dwarves and traveler or something. <laughs> I don't. It's a, whatever. I want to put more I space mean, dwarves there and are, stuff. I mean, there are settings for space and fantasy stuff. I mean, uh, uh, Star Starfinder is a yeah. great one for that, which we'll also <laughs> talk about here in the news. Neat. Second, Critical Role is back after some hiatus. Uh, are you watching season three? No, I honestly, I think the only season that I really followed like fully was maybe the first one. Okay. The second one, I dabbled a few episodes into it and I haven't even touched the third season. I uh, watched the first, I want to say four or five episodes of season three with my significant other, but then I kind of petered off because I just don't ever find myself, it's, it's part of being a single monitor plebeian. Is that I can I don't put video media on yeah. on in the background because I don't have a second monitor and you might be wondering uh, what year is it and do you actually use computers, Cody? But I do. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I, <laughs> I I have not had a single monitor. It really for just a comes down to laziness. Time. I just don't have the desk space for it. Yeah, it's understandable. But they are back and they have a new intro, uh, which is pretty cool. It it looks a lot to me. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, pardon the in the. Right into the producer's ears. About what are we, five minutes in? Yeah, well, (laughs) probably won't be the last one today. We've already cracked open our beers for the episode. Crit Roll is back. The intro is a semi, I don't know if it's like rotoscoped or animated. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Rotoscope is animation, but I I couldn't tell just by looking at it, but it kind of looked like the take on me kind of thing I'm a except little, with color i'm a little surprised they didn't get the animators that did the uh the net or the amazon show oh, to do their to intro do their, to, to do i mean intro I, for them. that that was just it was a really good show and the animation was really good and all the I characters can't wait for cool. more of that show that that good. that is if I you mean, haven't watched the critical role show on amazon prime go do yourself a treat i like critical role but i just don't have the time to sit for like three or four hours and actually watch them full-on play D. yeah especially uh, when uh Monster Hunter's out, right? Yeah, that that too. But I do have the time to sit and binge watch an entire, like, six-hour season of a summary, essentially, of their tabletop gaming. Admittedly, it's a lot less content. And it was, but it was really good. Really, really good. It was so good. Well, I I mean, but, you know, I mean, if you think about our, um, our gaming sessions, too. If you were to try to take and record them and, and play them back, they would be a lot longer than if you were to condense the story to the important stuff. Oh, yeah, trim the fat. So you to speak. know, a lot of the table talk, a lot of the, the kind of planning that goes on, a lot of the other little stuff. There are actual live plays of Pathfinder and D&D where people will actually trim the fat like that, mm-hmm. and it makes for usually better a content. Better experience. Especially with, they'll trim the fat and add sound effects and stuff, mm-hmm. too, and it makes it more dramatic, almost like a radio show, kind yeah. of. Uh, but anyway, Critical Role is back on, and they have uh, started their own in-house uh, music studio, I guess. A label, I guess, is, is 
I, I think that's the like, word, the the nomenclature to use here. Just making like fantasy jams for yeah. their stuff. Okay, <laughs> no, I mean that's, that's not the, bad. They wrote their first thing. album because uh, I think it's called like Scanlan Short Halts uh, Music, something <laughs> or other. It's it's under his name. That's awesome. Uh, and it, the first album is called Welcome to Taldorai, and then in parentheses Crit Roll Soundtrack. Okay. And I listened to like the first three quarters of it earlier today. It's like it's fifty six minutes long, and. When I say that it is part background music and part soundtrack, do you know what I'm intending there? What I'm implying? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so, like, some of the songs do sound great for it if you want them to be not distracting. Mm-hmm. And then some of the songs sound like movie soundtracks, where at this point in the song, you can tell that he's coming up over a ridge. Okay. You know, there's, like, there's something going on in the song. So there's at least something in there that you could, like, say, yeah. copy and paste into your playlist for tabletop game night and use. Yeah, it's and pretty use. good. I was, I think it was about two minutes into the song, entering Zephra, where one of the parts of the song kind of sounded like it was going to go into the Jurassic Park theme song a little bit. It was something about the way the note progression reminded me of that, but it's good. It's I, I recommend checking it out and using it for background noise in your fantasy game if you haven't already. Uh, background noise, background music is a good way, as long as it's not too distracting and intrusive, is a good way to up the tone of what's going on. My kid has been, like, casually listening to, like, the Northman soundtrack. Which is funny. Which yeah. is great, because I'm, I'm listening to it as he's doing that, and I'm like, I'm going to put this on the playlist for our Norse game. Oh, yeah, it's, it's highly it's appropriate. Just highly appropriate and just really good. So the last bit of news I have is related to Starfinder, actually. Hey, there we go. Yeah. Full circle. The, so there are multiple settings that have done things where they have, like, a big world-spanning event that's to shake the lore up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I, we were t- I was talking to you about it before we started recording. Uh, one example is system failure for Shadowrun. Uh, the spell plague for Forgotten Realms. Shadow, Shadowrun's done it a couple of times. They have, have the year, year of the Comet. They have uh, okay. yeah, the, the uh, Renraku Arcology shutdown, which the, the fallout from that was, like, advanced nanotechnology. Oh, wow. Them tech forward um the collapse of the matrix was the birth of matrix 2.0 which took everything wireless so they, they just do they well, have a big the, the, event every time well, they need to change something well, Shadowrun though is, has always been a time progression i think Shadowrun first edition starts in 2050 and then each edition each edition after that has accelerated the timeline five to ten years yeah when i was looking up details of system failure it took place in 2064 mm-hmm. uh, the spell plague of forgotten realms caused entire nations to yep. move around and then there was the because uh, it was Abiratorial are the two planets that became suffused in 4th edition, and then they separated, separated. again for 5th, <laughs> basically. And then uh, the fall of Cadia mm-hmm. in the in 40K, which is the first major plot movement in 20 years, Yeah, I was going to say, that, was the, that split the Imperium in two, didn't it? Yeah, split yeah. the Imperium in two. It's a, kind of a huge time jump. I think it's a, I think it's a century has gone, is, is essentially what they said has gone by, which is why... Uh, Castellan Creed's daughter is going to replace him him. as a model on the tabletop, things like that. But my question to you is, how do you feel about big lore-spanning events in general? And then also, how do you feel about it for a setting that's only been out four or five years? Because that's what the Drift Crisis is Um, for Starfinder. They are basically having a galaxy-spanning event where the drift is going haywire, which, if you'll remember, is the way you do Do, space travel. Yeah. Um, I think it... For me, the the validity of it, I guess, depends on 
whether or not, because some companies, I'm not making any accusation against anyone in particular, will do these changes specifically just to sell books. Right. Some of them will do it because they want to push the story, and selling books is just a positive side effect of that. Mm -hmm. And I think usually when you read the material, you can tell which of the two that is. Whether it's whether someone wrote that material passionately, or whether, whether it was they a, were forced to in to order as, to as a cash grab. So I think to that sell depends. Cover. And I also think that, and it really depends on what the the drift thing is going to change as far as content. But to go back to Shadowrun. Um, because 4th edition takes place in Matrix 2.0, they actually wrote a splat book that does a rules conversion, so you can use the 4th edition rules, but play back in 2050 before that happened. Oh, okay. So, I like it, like, that was one of the better things that I think, I think it was Catalyst at the time is in charge of 4th edition, that they did. Because I always liked the kind of 80s sci-fi feel of the older Shadowrun, when Deckers had to, like, use a data cable to plug into computers to hack everything, even oh, yeah. though technologically... The that, real, that, the ghost in the shell e, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, even though technologically that's an absurdity, looking at the tech that we have today and then assuming in 2050 that we wouldn't have wireless. Like and, when you watch the original Alien movie and their monitors are, are about like the, four, five yeah, inches they, they, they by look six. Like, look like my old TV from the 80s, yeah. you know what I mean? Like... The fact that they still supported it, at least in part with that with that splat book, made me happy. Because that was, you know, Golden Era for Shadowrun for me was when I was a teenager, and that was in the 90s. So, that was before, like, cell phone, you know, your cell phone that you had back then was a brick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that was before we had this massive wireless infrastructure that we have. So, I liked it when they did it that way. But I think it really depends. You know, if it's, if it's I mean, like, 40, 40K, for example, the Kadia thing. Obviously, that was necessary. They haven't done a setting change in 20 years. I don't think they did that as a mindless cash grab. I think they did it because somebody somewhere at GW was like, hey, we haven't advanced the plot line of this game in, in literally, quite a while. literally decades. So maybe we, we pick some big event and do it. I don't know what the drift crisis is going to end up being, so I don't know if that's a thing. But, I mean, Paizo's got a pretty good reputation, so I assume if they're doing it, it was They generally do, and we like their products. Yeah, so, I mean, I, my assumption here is that if they did it, they did it because somebody came up with the idea, and everybody was like, wow, that is a really good idea. From memory from the blurb, there's over 100 player options in terms of uh, gear, class stuff, themes, things to customize your character, and there's supposed to be... 20 plot hooks oh, to, nice. to set your characters up, no matter how you want to get your group involved into this galaxy-spanning crisis. So um, I imagine that there's all sorts of things, like whether you want to be part of the Starfinder Society or maybe you're mercenaries, but there's all sorts of stuff. I'm hoping, and I know this is not likely, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking about how, you know, Fall of Cadia is the herald of Warhammer 40k 9th edition. I think System Failure was a setup for the next, probably the next edition mm -hmm. of Shadowrun. The Spell Plague had to do with an edition change. Uh, the kind of, the theme I'm, I've always gotten is that big world-spanning events like these always are ahead of an edition change. So are you hoping they, they apply Pathfinder 2 rules to Starfinder? Kinda. I just, they really, the, the three-action economy. Just yeah, no, no, slap I, that on Starfinder I, and we'll start a game I'll be next a, week. I was about to say that before you started talking about the next edition is, you know what I want more than a Drift Crisis? A conversion to Pathfinder 2 system yeah, for Starfinder. The, the stamina rules are already, because they tested well, the stamina rules in Starfinder. I like the them like to... the idea of the setting for Starfinder really appeals to me. We didn't play it much, but then after Pathfinder 2 came out, 
my desire to play Starfinder just disappeared, not because of the content of the, the system, but because but of the, the actual mechanics. mechanics. Yeah. Because I now know that Pathfinder 2's mechanics are so much better than Starfinder's are. Yeah. I want that for that game. Like, I want... Have you... You give me Starfinder 2.0 with, you know, the, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition... Action economy rules and stuff like that. Maybe don't I mean, gimp sorcerers so hard. Yeah. Or the, the, the <laughs> magic users, because in Starfinder, they only have six level spells, mm -hmm. which kind of seems a little whack well, to me. I mean, but, you know. Basically, just take the the, 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 the... the skeleton of Pathfinder 2. Yeah, take Pathfinder 2 and just paint Starfinder over the top of it. Yeah, like, the make magic you. system, all that stuff. I'm fine with elves and dwarves and stuff in space. I'm okay with that. Space dragons, cool, great idea. I just, mechanically, I can't go back. I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. It's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because, I mean, Pathfinder 2 is such a well-constructed system. It, it really is. I'm a big fan of it mm -hmm. mechanically, for for balance mechanics and for flavor purposes. Yeah, it does a very good job of what it's supposed to do. And, and I think that I think Starfinder needs that overhaul. I think it would help Starfinder a lot. Oh, yes. I am in total agreement. <laughs> so, like you said, I am interested in maybe getting a copy of it and reading it now that you've said when you read through things, you can usually tell because mm -hmm. that that'd be the real way to kind of give it a uh, a judgment call. Yeah. Is put it on mm -hmm. put it under a microscope and see. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll do that. Well, and, and and maybe maybe part of the reason they're doing it is like you said, they're planning a new edition. Fingers crossed. And maybe they're man. planning a new edition because people like us have been constantly bitching about how we'd like yeah. to see the 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 system for Pathfinder two applied to Starfinder. I you know, we can't be the only ones. No, there's no way in hell we're the only ones. It's not possible. Yeah. All right, so that's enough of that. What'd you do this week? Or at least talk to me about your experience as a player in the Call of Cthulhu session. All right, Call of Cthulhu. Let's see, what did we do last week? You, you got yourselves into some sewer trouble. That's yeah, that's that's true. We did start uh, start the exploration of the sewer system after splitting the party. After well, we always do that. We do it. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I think we do it more in Call of Cthulhu because the game is not as combat heavy. Like, in a game that's combat-heavy, splitting the party sucks, because that means if half the party gets in combat, the other half's just standing around Do, doing, yeah, nothing. doing nothing. Whereas, in, a, in, a in Call of Cthulhu, combat's not going to last yeah, that long. Yeah, if, if, it's, if it's mostly narrative, the splitting the party's almost more fun. Um, yeah, a, a PC can take one or two hits from yeah. a monster, and and, that, and then they're dead. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> combat, you don't want to be in... Being in combat is just generally not where you want to be in life. Um, so, let's see. where We went down... How did we even get in the sewers? Well, you were. You have to refresh my memory. It's been a okay. Week. So you had the whole thing where you had investigated uh, what's her name's apartment and got yeah. all those keys. No, I, I remember that. And then because the, because the priest that, went and got a map of the sewer system. Yeah, that's right. Because they investigated her apartment without bringing me. I am the burglar. <laughs> yeah, I am the burglar. I am the burgle man, as our scientist refers yeah, to. He refers to, to you as the burgle man. Uh, and they decided to go burgle a, an apartment. Without, without the burgle man. Without the burgle man. And, and they made kind of a mess of the entire thing, to be yeah. honest. Which is, it was funny. It, it was, was hilarious. Um, and then, yeah, the, he got the map of the sewers. Yeah, Father Podrick got the mm -hmm. map of the sewers and discovered there was an older under sewer, essentially. That's and right. Then, the, the sewer under the sewer. And so two of the party members, the best shots of the party, are going to Salem with a, with, to go hey, investigate I, I something else. <laughs> you can shoot, but I think they have more points in it. They might. I don't know. And they, so you have... Correct me if I'm wrong. You have uh, pistols, yes, right? Yes, I do have Whereas pistols. they actually have like shotguns and rifles mm -hmm. and are really good at them. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I have the pistol. Yeah, um, which is funny to me. So the 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 
the crazy scientist and the the preacher, the preacher man. both of which are not great fighters. Nope. You've got the burgle man who is a ex criminal, and he's he's pretty good and handy with a knife and, he's and still, a gun. He's still a criminal. Yeah, he's still a cr- well, he's a criminal. And then <laughs> uh, then you've got the NPC that's with them, and yep. that's it. The NPC who's uh for him is a key connection, so he's kind of got limited plot armor yep. without. That uh, the other PC who's currently split, yeah, so he can't die. He he has to get away just because that's how key connections work. The debutante, the debutante's boyfriend. And yeah, I the debutante's boyfriend. Yeah, he's he would have to yep. escape somehow or be captured alive. We be- we became friends because he distracted the police so that I could get that file out yeah, of the detective's right. yeah, car. That's okay. Now it's coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. He's he's down there with us. Um, well, the uh, the ladies in the group have all ventured to Salem. To, uh, they were visiting an asylum, if memory serves. Yep. Well, they were visiting a... The plan was to hit up uh, someone who could figure out the code book yep. for you. Yep, yep, And yep. then hit up an asylum, the, the Danvers State Hospital, which is just north of Salem. Yeah, because that's where um, that's where Helen French is supposed to be. That's where she's supposed to be. And that's where a woman named Helen French is. And there's mm-hmm. also a woman named Helen French in Arkham. We have two Helen Frenches, and we don't think one of them is the real Helen French. And it's probably the one that's in Arkham. <laughs> so as now that we are because obviously you can kind of tell from a player's perspective that this first investigation is reaching a climax we're, we're getting yeah we're, we're getting to the point where we're, we're starting to kind of figure out what's going on or at least how has call of cthulhu 7th edition stacked up to every other tabletop game you've played i like it it's different yeah. i like it it's different in a lot of good ways because combat is not the focus of this game in almost like I don't want to say almost every other, but in the vast majority of tabletop games, I think combat is a heavy focus. And that's not a bad thing, depending on the setting that you're playing. But this game is almost entirely narrative. I mean, the roles are there to help push the narrative. Well, I guess the roles in all these games are help push the narrative forward. But, like, the combat mechanics are very simple because the expectation is you're not going to be spending a lot of time in combat. No. Because no, combat really will wouldn't. kill you. Yes. With your 11, 9 HP that yeah, you might it's, have. It's not a great not a great place to be, especially against the kind of things you're bumping into in a Call of Cthulhu game. Yeah, then, is, and then when you get a, uh, like, a critical success and things start doing maximum damage yeah, on you, top of die rolls, mm-hmm, it's... You get wrecked. You can get wrecked pretty... Because if you take a single instance of damage that is, I want to say is greater than your HP pool. There's no, you're just dead you're immediately. Just dead. You're just dead immediately. So if you have 11 HP and you take 12 damage, you're dead. On well, the spot, dead on the spot. I mean, these things have claws and knives and tentacles. And and from a from a keeper of the lore's perspective, the only reason a couple of the characters haven't died is because on chase rolls, the monster has truly fumbled. Yeah, no, I know. I remember uh, Dan struggled with that a little yeah, bit. Spen- Dr. He, Spencer he, he, Spengler... He almost got got pretty early. ...survived by the whims of fate and dice <laughs> alone. Do anything else tabletop-related work on uh, YE at all? Um, no, actually, I, I, I haven't suspended working on that project, but uh, I took a little bit of a break because I've been working on that uh, conversion for uh, yeah, Savage Worlds. Sci-fi Savage Worlds thing. Yeah, it just yeah. It seems like an easy thing to kind of get done. So, and it, it kind of piqued my interest. Hey, if, if you so strike while the iron is hot. That's that's kind of where it's at. When the inspiration hits you, if you don't run with it, then it makes it hard to do anything else, at yeah. least for me. So I've been working on that quite a bit. As a matter of fact, when we were driving back and forth to the little family thing we did this afternoon, Sarah was driving. I had 
the Savage Worlds book in my lap, and I was going through my files on my phone and making changes to stuff. So that's it's kind of been my bigger project as of late. It's it, what you're working on should either be important that it needs to be done soon, or you're because you're enjoying yep. it. Same, same as tabletop prep. So exactly. So, that's, so while while reminiscing about what we've been doing this week, what are we drinking, Lance? We are drinking, and you brought this probably to stop me from today's you bartender's towels. name is Summer, and <laughs> Summer served us a very appropriately fruity beverage. Yeah, this is the Lake Time Brewery's High Watermark Watermelon Wheat. And it's a watermelon treat. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I like it. I like I, it a lot. It's I like it because the fruit is not, like, front and center. You know, me and fruit beers, I'm kind of always oh, yeah. hit or miss on them. But you can definitely taste it, and it's kind of neat because it's an ale, but it does have a little bit of that hoppiness on the tail end. Like oh, yeah. When you, when you get to the end of the drink, it's there's just that little bite of hops that's kind of kind of hits you it's it, it's it's almost ipa adjacent actually when you're drinking kind of like i i want to say sours and things like that mm-hmm. it can kind of taste like you're drinking a alcoholic fruit juice yeah kinda sometimes whereas this tastes like a beer yeah it tastes like a beer this, with, is, this it, is beer. this is a beer with this a hint is beer this is with a, watermelon it's a, it's a beer with a hint of watermelon <laughs> yeah not watermelon juice with a hint of beer right Whereas uh, the the one brewing has like a watermelon wizard and mm-hmm. it's a sour goze. So you know it's, that's going to be. I think it's Confluence, isn't it? it? it I'm is pretty sure I saw, I, I saw those when I was at the. Yeah, uh, there's all sorts of different flavored yep. wizards of they, they, various fruits. I thought about buying a bunch of them and bringing them to game night. Oh, Give, yeah, that would be appropriate. Well, it would have been really appropriate for the last one. But oh, it, we'll it, talk about that next episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that is what we are drinking today. And I, I honestly like it. I'd, I'd give this, we, I guess we don't really have a rating system. I'd say it's pretty good. I would buy this again. Yes. Yeah. Th- this I would buy this again. I wouldn't buy this in the winter. I w- it is very much a summer beverage. It's watermelon for, for Pete's sake. I would rate this repeat offender as in I would drink more <laughs> than one of them. <laughs> yeah. You, you would have more than one. And this is the, it's, it's not too heavy. Yeah, so you can good sit around beverage. the campfire and drink it with a. Hot dog in your other hand and beer in this one. Big sunglasses on as the sprinkler is going and the, your friends are playing bags in the corner of the lawn. <laughs> I, I could crush a sixer of this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So as we continue to enjoy our beverage, let's get on to the the main juice. All right. What are we talking about today? So last episode, we talked about interesting combat, right? Yeah. And you reminisced about certain events that were memorable in your brain, uh, like Dan feeling like a badass as Scorpion. Uh, We had um, my initial lackluster experience of (laughs) something that we've talked about. We talked about describing combat with flavor. But what about... Role playing. We have talked before about engaging your players. We have talked before about creating NPCs. All of these things have to do with role playing. But I want to get into a little bit finer uh, grains, examine the smaller carrots of it, so to speak. What are some of your most favorite and memorable role playing moments and why? What do you think made them a memorable role playing moment? Obviously, we can say the blanket statement high drama situations are memorable, yeah, but some of them are more memorable than others. And I'm curious as to, you know, what is the main ingredient of that secret sauce? You know, I mean, at least as far as our group goes, I think one of the bigger ingredients is Moose and Bee. 
Yeah. Like, I think they do the big dramatic moments really C Catering well. to our primary audience, right? Yeah, well, I, I know they listen to the podcast. But, but I mean, seriously, like, like, when, like the, when the first incarnation of Bog died and they had a just hugely heartfelt funeral for him. Yeah. Like, this nasty little problem goblin that had been following the party for all of a couple of days, and they still, like... I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put my foot down and remind you that that was a lot on my shoulders, too. Yeah, oh yeah, you were playing at the time, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I, I made a big yeah, deal the, about yeah. overcoming my character's That's true, speciesism yeah. against goblins I, in I, that moment. I sometimes forget that you play games, too, because... You, <laughs> yeah, because you, I was in that game. You do the majority of the game mastering, yeah. so, you know... I think I think uh, the stone cairn was my idea. Yeah, no, actually it was. <laughs> now I feel bad. Yeah, but, yeah. so now, now that you've attributed something that was my fault to them, what's a different thing that you can think of that they helped with? I mean, there has always been good just drama in... Like, the specific group that we're playing with now has always done a really good job of, of the drama. The uh, Yeah, because there's, there's enough character argument that... And no one gets truly well, butthurt outside of the game, really. Not only that, but... Maybe like, a little, the, but... The Brotherhood has always been kind of the world's most dysfunctional family. Yeah. Like, a, it's like the Umbrella Academy, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, that's a really good comparison. It really you know, is, they're, because... They're helping each other and solving problems, we, but boy, but, do they argue. And, and they're all different in all kinds of different ways. But like the the grand rescue of Aram when we finally got him back, oh like, yeah, that was a really huge deal to the party. Why? So that was a that was a really huge deal just because of the emotion attached, yeah, to it and the buildup of it. But what can you remember about that specific scene? Um, I really liked the everybody gets to go into Aram's head adventure part of that, like mm -hmm. the the because I mean that was that was a complete. I don't think there was any combat involved in that at all. It was all narrative. It was mostly narrative. Yeah, it was a narrative flashback. Mm -hmm. There there might have been one brief combat with a shade of of the memories past, mm -hmm. but I don't think not nothing super. It wasn't a boss fight. No, no, they got to live through uh, Aram's abusive childhood, his induction into a cult, his binding to a star god. Um. And then eventually watching him put his fragmented personality back together and become whole again. That was that was a big moment. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing that's it's hard to describe adequately on a podcast. So the, but the first two things that you've described are things that were pertinent to characters you played. That's true. Which I think is part of the secret sauce. Of course, it yeah. makes sense. You're playing a character from the first person or third person mm -hmm. perspective. The, the moments that your character is a part of are going to be yeah. more memorable. And I, mean, right? I was going to say, obviously, at least for me, those are the ones that are going to have the most impact. So what are some memorable moments for you where your character was not in the spotlight? Whether it be from Pathfinder, The Brotherhood, or uh, Deadlands, or maybe an old Shadowrun game, anything like that. Um, I think I have a couple. Okay. Um, one of the most dramatic moments, I think, and, and this, this was kind of combat adjacent, because it erupted into combat, and there was role-playing being yelled back and forth during the actual combat, but it was the, uh, the Hans and his undead wife incident. Oh yeah, that's, that, that, that was, was before some, my time. Pretty high drama. So I think we talked about it in the in one of the other episodes. But I had a, a, a mad scientist in Deadlands that Dan was playing, and from the beginning of the character, he had planned to do something that would be considered bad by Deadlands standards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some... I told him, I said, okay, this means that your character is is eventually going to become an NPC. Because, and he was cool with that. And he was fine with it. He wanted to play it. So his 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 character was an elderly mad scientist who kept the um, preserved brain of his uh, late wife in his, uh, he had a, a wagon 
and that's where his laboratory was, was in the wagon. He was very protective about not letting anyone in the wagon. And eventually in the plot, he decided that he was going to make a Franken-wife. So he started... That's a good um, way to put it. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. so we were, we were in a particular city, and um, some of the, the, the local um, ladies of the night started disappearing. The rest of the group, of course, thought that this was some new big bad that they were going to have to fight, or some small bad that they were going to have to fight. Some, yeah, didn't the, didn't the blame eventually fall on, the suspicion fell on the, the reporter? Yeah, and, like, there was... The, there they was, thought the reporter was creating their own there, story. There was a reporter there that, that had a mutual interest, well, hers and, and Dan's characters had a mutual, well, the, the, the reporter was an NPC, but the, the Dan's character and, and this, this NPC had a, kind of a mutual interest. And unbeknownst to the rest of the party, the reason was is because she actually resembled his late wife. So the party eventually came to believe that she was the one doing all the killing and that when Hans disappeared, that she was responsible for it. Oh. As opposed to the other way around. <laughs> Which and, is uh, pretty funny. Yeah, and eventually when they, they tracked you know, the perpetrator down... It turns out that Hans had set up a little laboratory in this old barn a ways out from town. And they arrived basically just in time to see him resurrect this new Frankenwife of his. Well, being, you know, at this point in the, 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 the campaign, essentially professional abomination hunters, they did what professional abomination hunters do. They, they decided to, abomination. They wanted to kill the abomination, which, of course, did not make Hans happy. And he was very dramatically screaming at them as this gunfight ensued because he was trying to protect his zombie wife, which was not like his wife was not there. If you know anything about Deadlands and the creation of undead, there's there was the, no wife. There was there. no wife left in that brain. That yeah. brain had become basically a vessel for the kind of demons that animate undead in the Deadlands universe. But Hans didn't know or care about that. Um, he's, I, the, he's the one that thought horses could talk. Yeah, well, he he a mad 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 scientist. The mad so, being a, an imperative. Oh yeah, yeah. It's and, it, it's right in the name of the arcane background. Yeah, right? you know, you go a little nuts over time. That's just how it happens. So we've got uh, the first piece of juice is uh, dramatic situations in which your character is in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is, I guess, is it is it because it was a really well planned, thought out betrayal? Among the um, party, because those are usually you hear favorable stories about. No, those. I think it was the emotions you could feel at the table when okay. the rest of the party realized Dan's character had did this. Yeah, so there was it's there the, was you could feel the tension around the table, like it was in the air. Oh man, that like as been the rest awesome of the party realized on the wall in that session, because I mean they had they had gone through a whole bunch of stuff with this character. I mean mm -hmm. this had been, you know, they gotten lost up in the the Rocky Mountains and got snowed in and Dan near starved to death before being attacked by a wendigo so it's not just that they were playing their characters and you know because you talk about role playing as mm -hmm. making a decision that your character would make but not necessarily the person that's when you're role playing yeah. right uh -huh. but you were saying that they were feeling emotions that their characters well, were I, feeling I, I, that they I, weren't necessarily feeling I, right i think the best moments of role playing are when the character emotions spill into the players okay when that 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 conflict there is so big that not only are the characters themselves feeling it, but the players then through osmosis are sucking up some of that. And, and we've had some of those we moments. We have had some of those moments. You, you kind of sit there and look around the table like, is 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 this person angry or is their character yeah, angry? Yeah, exactly. And it might just be that the character is angry and it's seeping into the player. Mm -hmm. 
like a method actor. Yeah, exactly. To be really precocious. <laughs> We're all method actors, and we all deserve Tony Awards. Well, <laughs> I, I can do without the awards, but... Um, so we've got a good dramatic situation in which your person, your primary player character is involved. You've got uh, emotions running high. Yeah. So what are some smaller memorable role-playing moments? The ones that aren't dramatic, that are just those fleeting passing moments that are kind of, like, nice, you know? We had a lot of those in Shadowrun. Okay. Um, it was it was almost universally this, like, ever-growing conflict between the type of characters that Dan made and the type of characters my friend Paul made. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know if it was... Because those two get along just fine. Yeah, I mean, that's are really good of... friends. We, we've been friends... Like, the collective of us have been friends for literally decades since we were little kids. But, like, I remember the time that Paul's character, like, shot Dan's character. Like, oh. right outright, like... Straight up real PvP yeah, at the we, table. we had a... Uh, they were, I don't remember what their characters were arguing about. It's something to do with the job that they were doing. And then, of course, the healer scraped Dan up off the ground. <laughs> but, um... I mean, there's, there's been a lot of little ones. How many do you have that we remember? Uh, I, I'm sure, sure you've got a few. I mean, so I think of the things that you mentioned, like... Uh, there's that scene that's pretty typical, I think, in many D&D groups when the adventuring party, the the mostly good guy adventuring mm -hmm. party, is in the campfire scene with a bunch of nearby NPCs. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually when anyone that's feeling pretty froggy will take the initiative to go and approach an NPC and ask questions about them, learn their history, get involved. When the players start asking questions of imaginary people, I think that's uh, what what creates a really nice little moment. Um, some of the memorable ones are where you go and gamble at the Darkhold uh, for multiple, not not necessarily the deck of many things situation, but uh, I think of that. I think of I think of certain feast scenes with important uh, characters. Um, you know, you talked about Bog's funeral. That is a scene where Bog was in the limelight, and the, uh, the rest of us were not. That had all the spice. That had uh, that had a dramatic moment. That had uh, people feeling their characters' emotions, and then we were just uh, saying nice things to each mm -hmm. other. I, I think that's part of it. Is when <laughs> when people warm, when people say nice session. things and have wholesome fuzzy moments, where uh, you you, the, you brought up Moose and Bee earlier. They're the if there was a plaque award for most likely to try and feed the animal it's going to them when no matter what the animal is yep, whether it nope. be a hydra or uh if if there's any chance at all that the animal could possibly just be misunderstood they're they're going to try and be warm and fuzzy towards and uh towards a creature no matter its origin yep uh i think about the moments where people have had to say sorry to one another mm -hmm. after certain events um, like a big change recently was Diraj turning over a new leaf when he, he apologized to some royalty in the underwater city, uh, character growth, I think is memorable yeah. for me. And I think, I, I think the true answer to my question is that it's made up of more of a bunch of parts that equal more than their sum. 
No, I, I can agree to that. The secret sauce to interesting role-playing is multifaceted, to throw around a buzzword. Yeah. And as many ingredients. If one ingredient is too heavy or too lacking, you're not going to have these memorable moments. But they are memorable, and I, I like that how our brains work, because these memories sit in our long-term memory, but what I was wearing that to that day to that session, uh, or what was going on in my life that day, is... I have yeah, no memory. Couldn't tell you what time of the year that session was. I'd have no idea when James showed up with a voodoo bag to clear away a, a oh, wave of that zombies. that was another really good one, yeah. yeah that, well, that was, for me, that was a personal yeah. character in the limelight moment coming to save the party. But, I mean, it's 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 role-playing and it's drama and it's yeah. good. You've from, got... Like, when, when Dan Colcock, the vampire hunter for killing the little kid vampire. Oh, yeah, that was a, that uh, was, his, that was his, a pretty good one, too. lawful good paladin, uh, we were... The mutual misunderstanding of... Uh, do you know how to cure vampirism? And the vampire hunter says, "Yes, I do," and kills the little kid. Yeah, because the little yeah, that's that's a cure for vampirism. Vampirism I mean, is, is death. <laughs> you, you are technically correct. <laughs> the best kind of correct. I, I think uh, the paladin did not take well to the killing of the vampire child. But if I had to boil away the extra components and leave only uh, the meat behind, I would say the main ingredients to what makes an interesting roleplay are probably, um, number one, the game master who is paying attention to what their players actually want and setting up mm -hmm. a possible scenario for them to engage in. If you have a bad GM, it's going to be a bad gaming experience. Flat. That's, that, no, full stop. That's that's combat. That's drama. That's, uh, that's the role playing. You I mean, could, if, if you, you have, have someone who runs a great combat but is very bad at telling that's meaningful role playing stories, right? That's that's something that I. Uh, consider as a possibility they might not be bad all around mm -hmm. well you said bad gm so my assumption was immediately oh you mean the kind that just sucked good at point I, I did say that but i kind of <laughs> meant about setting up character development and yeah. things like that so uh situations where your game master is setting the players up for success whether that means and by success i mean they're going to have interesting role playing uh we go we can talk about aram getting betrayed by zachariah and Ulfgar, and that's not necessarily a success, but it was a successful, memorable role-playing moment. It was Ulfgar that hurt the most. <laughs> <laughs> and when I catch him, I'm going to hurt him. <laughs> and I like to... See, that's what I like to think, is that Aram doesn't just feel anger but betrayal, betrayal. and oh, it's, yeah. it's a it's a deep sting because I mean, this is someone that he had opened up to well and, and we had i mean as a party we've been together for years yeah like we'd been adventuring for years we'd seen tragedy we both escaped death narrowly on how many different occasions oh yeah sometimes because of him yeah <laughs> mostly because of him <laughs> you 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 as characters helped put his father's rear end on the throne yeah. liter quite literally and then he puts a blade between my shoulder blades. Yeah. And, Not and literally, but... Some drugs in your wine. Yeah, well. He sold but, me off to the big bad evil guy. That's kind of kind of screwed up. Let's say <laughs> let's say that there are three, three, three parts of the tripod. What would you say those three parts are? I would say the number one being uh, the GM setup. Yeah. Whether that includes uh, engaging with your character's backstories or working with players to set up a betrayal or just... You're actively working with them in favor of a good storytelling moment. Yep. Character buy-in is character buy-in. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you need to be able to get inside your character's skin. Um, so that character buy-in is the second tripod. I would say so yeah. Second, so yeah, yeah be, being able to 
uh, connect emotionally is mm-hmm. what you're saying is you, you want to not only think about what your character is doing but you want to feel what your character yeah. is doing that's uh, that's the second part of the tripod mm-hmm. so the third bit is what i would say that it has to do with uh not just getting not just the gm and the player but i think it has to have at least one other player I think I think the oh yeah I think that's the tripod actually yeah, now, like now that I'm saying it aloud I'm having the epiphany yeah no you're you're right because I mean like emotional role playing interactions with an NPC are good like those are those can be good they're, but I would they're describe never, them as really neat yeah they're never as good as the interaction between two player characters yeah I think that's probably it it's is you've got no matter what you do it, the most beloved NPC is never going to feel as human as one of the other players yeah. because the NPC is sitting from the other side of the screen. Well, I mean, no, which always no, which always kind of comes with a little bit of animosity well, somehow. Not only that, but I mean, you know, when, when you're doing you know, like a player character and a player character in a dramatic moment, or like especially in a betrayal moment, like Moose got to stare me in the eye <laughs> as his character betrayed mine. Yeah, just looking across just the table, across at the you. table, right, right in my trying face. to hold a poker face. Yeah, as as he just because my character ended up in captivity and tortured for a couple of years. Yeah, the, on the three of you, if I remember correctly, there was a bit of a. There, it was actually over an apology, and it was a toast to working together. Yeah, he, right. He, you guys were toasting to working together yep. and overcoming the bad guy. And in your beverage was a magical roofie. The toast was all crap. <laughs> it was a lie. Yeah, you were uh, you were you were stolen away by a a po- an alchemical poison that knocked you out. This is true. And it was put in there by none other than a dwarf. Uh, it was the big sad. And they, right. th- th- what's funny about that situation is you make it a point that uh, wine is part of Aram's personality. Yeah. Like, no, he's, he's, like where everybody else is. Like guzzling. how Lance is a beer, a craft beer mm. drinker and it's part of your personality. He was a wine drinker. Aram's a little fancy. He's a little, he's a little extra. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they took that and plunged that. That's like a, that's, that's good writing actually. You know, when, when you set up in chapter one that a character really likes wine and then, and then later, later when the... that, that's how they end up being betrayed. That's yep. just, that's a callback. That's, yep. that's Chekhov's crystal glass. Yep. And it worked. Yep. So uh, that's the there, that's the tripod then yep. is is you've got you've got to have GM set up uh, player buy in and then other player engagement I mm-hmm. think is going to be the most significant and impactful memorable role playing moments uh, but as a game master what can a game master do to uh, help facilitate that when you're getting down to this assume that I am a brand new GM and I'm still I'm just kind of getting into this. What parts of my character, of my PC's backstories, do I look at? Uh, how do I predict uh, what they're going to like or don't like? Do you have any advice for a new GM in this regard who wants to set up memorable moments? Don't be afraid to keep secrets. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, what I mean by that is, if a character does not share his motivations with the rest of the party, don't do that for him. Yeah. Because I mean, to go back to the Han story as an example. I didn't allude to anything. Like, I let... If Dan's character did... If Dan chose to have Hans do something suspicious, that's fine. But me as a GM, I knew what Hans was up to. I was 100% on board with him doing it. That's another thing as a GM. Be flexible. I mean, 
Dan was willing to play this character temporarily knowing that when his plan came to fruition, he would be forced to give up the character. If he is willing to give up his character for a good plot point as a GM, you should be willing to participate in that. Don't tell him no. Don't tell him don't no. Don't tell him no. It's tell, be- tell him yes, but if you have to. But yeah, don't tell but, him no but if tr- they're try, really, work, really willing to work. Try to work that into everything. Because at the end of the day, if you let the players create their own drama, you're going to have these memorable moments. So I would say that as a GM, be flexible. You know, Don't say no. And let the players keep their secrets. So yeah, don't, pull, don't let them look at the guy behind the, the curtain. Yeah, essentially. exactly. That's actually some some GMs will give that advice for everything. Yeah, every facet of the game, uh, which you know I don't always do that. Sometimes I'll reveal to you guys something that would have happened, or mm-hmm. but I do you do you enjoy that or no? I mean, yeah, it, it, I think it depends on the game and it depends on the context. Like right. for a game like Deadlands or for a game like Call of Cthulhu, you want to keep your secrets. Oh, like it's yeah, important the, to the plot. It's, it's mystery centric. Yeah, when you're playing something a little more like fantasy oriented, or a little more action oriented, or a little more combat oriented, that's a little bit different. Like your 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 occasional flashes that you would give us the players, but not the characters. Yeah, like the um those those third person cutscenes that you would show us of kind of the stuff that you know him and his minions were up to. I should be we we should be clear. I didn't I didn't make. Visual cutscenes, I, I narrated yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, you, I don't you, have that much video cut. No, video but it, talent. <laughs> he would he would do a narration of an event that was taking place completely somewhere else in Faerun, that was related to the big bad evil guy. That not our characters would know, but us as players, he wanted us to would know. Find so interesting. It's kind of like if you're watching a movie and it's centered around you know the main characters, but then they'll have these brief cutaways to the villain and some stuff that he's up to and then go back and it's you know it's a narrative that the hero never knows any setting that is modern or later you can have news broadcasts mm-hmm. if you want the characters to know about things That's that true. are going on too which are always a lot of fun in my opinion anyway oh i agree so to uh, summarize your thoughts on all these matters basically don't pull the don't don't let the audience know about the stage magic Exactly, yeah. Just keep keep the screen up. Don't let them peel behind the curtain. The man behind the curtain is Yeah, the man behind the there is no man behind there the curtain. There is no man behind the curtain. There's only Oz. There is no Warren Bossing say. There is no Warren Bossing say. There is no man behind the curtain. and then uh, what's his name's a, a real mind freak. Anyway, move that's uh, that's about it for uh, I don't even remember that dude's name. Uh, we're going to uh, Chris Angel? Yeah, that's it. Okay. I was having a brain fart about the magician. <laughs> but don't tell the audience what you've got up your sleeve, essentially. Yep. So mm-hmm. keep the ma- keep it, make it so that the magic is real. Anyway, I think that's going to wrap it up for uh, what makes a, you know, we can always touch on, the, we touch on this topic again, but for the minutiae of role-playing and what makes a memorable moment, a something that your players will talk about, hopefully, for years down the line, uh, is... Uh, in today's episode, you can examine the ingredients and apply it to your own games in the future. My name has been Cody. And mine is still Lance. It's still Lance, to the best of my knowledge. <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, you can do so at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. Send us your comments, concerns, hopefully questions. If you have any ideas for topics that you want to hear, hear us yap about, I insist that you do so. Anyway, uh, make sure that you close your tab with Summer and get home safe. See ya.
Want to hear more from the record button? You can find us wherever you find podcasts, like Transistor, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. To stay up to date on our releases, find us on Facebook at the Record Button Production Group and on Twitter at TRBPRODGRP. Or stop by our website at recordbuttongroup.com, where we have links to our merch and other shows such as Wasteland Active Radio and Why Did I Write This? Thank you for listening.